Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Steve Lorenz on the phone lines with me. We're back in studio, so hopefully any quality hitches you saw, although didn't hear anything, uh, so maybe there weren't that many. But back in the studio, going to talk some basketball and then a lot of football. You know, we'll, we'll do some some basketball recap stuff looking ahead to the offseason, but uh, most of our questions are were related to football. Um so that's what we're going to talk about. Spring football is here. Uh, we'll, we'll discuss this a little bit more in detail, but Jim Harbaugh spoke, uh, offered a lot of details, depth chart, injuries, other news and notes, other items. Uh, probably the most insightful press conference he's had that I can remember. I think 2015, there might have been more, but but since then, it's been different. So so this was, this was a change. We'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, Steve, we can talk about basketball first. Obviously, if you want to read all of our coverage, I did I did a wrap-up column, a lengthier story on Matthews, a look at the isolation offense, a look at next year, uh, some, some more thoughts on the Texas Tech loss that Michigan suffered. Uh, not sure where we want to start with this. I guess we can do... Uh, last, eh, last, let's do lasting impressions on the season. They went 30-7. and seven. They... We're one game shy of a Big Ten regular season title, one game shy of a Big Ten tournament title, two games shy of a Final Four. And, you know, they had that 17-0 start. I think everyone was like, this can happen, this can happen. And then it didn't. But at the same time, I I, I challenge someone who called this season uh, a failure. A letdown might be fair usage just because you build yourself up. But really... You know, looking back and, and kind of looking at Michigan history, this team did not have nearly enough seniors or surefire first-round draft picks. In fact, I don't think they had either. They had a redshirt junior and a few guys who could be draft picks. I mean, this was not a team that was supposed to be, you know, sweet six bummed about only making it to the Sweet 16. And, and I think... I mentioned in my column a very emotional locker room in Anaheim, you know, really, really shaken up. I mean, just like the fan base was. I mean, they were really, really frustrated after that game. And part of it is that, you know, you're a two seed, you build it up. But I also think this team deserves a lot of credit for continuing this tradition. Michigan's not a blue blood, but they sure seem like one with the with the expectations, with the production. I mean, they have... They have the fourth most NCAA tournament wins over the last seven years. Uh, Duke, UNC, and Kentucky are the only ones with more. They have the fourth most uh, first-round NBA draft picks over the last seven years. Only Duke, Kentucky, and UCLA have more. I mean, so I don't know about you, Steve, what what your thoughts were. Terrible game. One one for 19 from three. I mean, I think you or I could feasibly go to the gym and make one for 19 uncontested. And obviously, it doesn't mean much. But, you know, a lot lot of mistakes uh, but at the same time, do you think people might have overinflated or overestimated how good Michigan was? You know, because John Beeline said after the game, this team got to see that there were there were a lot of other teams out there that were better uh, than them this year, and Texas Tech was one of them. Were there a lot more a lot more teams though? Like I see. Texas Tech is in the Final Four. They mm-hmm. beat Gonzaga. Michigan State is in the Final Four. Purdue was a fluky buzzer-beater tying 
shot away from being in the final four. I mean, you know, it's this idea that because Michigan lost in the sweet 16, that they must be at 16th least best. best. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's no. like, so you, and you see, uh, you see the two teams that gave Michigan the most trouble this year in Michigan state and Texas tech are now playing for a chance to play in the national title game. Uh, yeah, I just think, and it's it's always about matchups in the tournament, but right. it's also that the best teams usually still end up. And it's hard not to say that Texas Tech hasn't absolutely earned the right to be one of the four best teams in the country, right? So, um, yeah, I think the the big start obviously kind of set things up for not and a the disappointment because there was always you know what? No, well, ahead. I was just gonna say the start. You know, you mentioned it's all about matchups. The start was kind of matchup dependent. They played Villanova before. They were able to replace, what, five top-tier players who were picked in the first 35 picks, four players picked in the first 35 picks. They faced Purdue before they were ready to replace their four starters. I think they play, they replaced North Carolina before Nasir Little and, and Kobe White were able to be... They, they, they weren't really settled in in the college game. That was a great win, but it's also a home win. You know, it, people look at that 17-0 start... Other than those three games, and we saw Villanova, I mean, beating a sixth seed on the road is not quite the, the chest-pounding win. Purdue and North Carolina were, but those were, one, at home, and two, I think before those teams reached who they were. So, yeah, I mean, I think even the 17-0 start, I think people might have read a little much into it. But I'm, I'm with you. I didn't mean to say a lot. I just meant at least right. three or four. Because I, I think I think three of the four teams in the Final Four – are better teams than Michigan, you know, just based on how they did against either Michigan right. or against everyone else. And then, you know, depending on how you feel about Duke or or Kentucky, maybe just playing the wrong team at the wrong time. But one thing I also would want to point out, does do, do the postseason runs the last two years, do they beat Texas Tech, this Texas Tech team, or do they beat this Michigan State team? Because from an efficiency standpoint, those two teams are better than anyone Michigan faced in the 2017 or 2018 postseasons. Uh, it's just still hard for me to wrap my head around the idea that you, like that last year's Michigan team swept a Michigan State team that had two lottery picks on it, and then to say that they would not have that last year's team would not beat this year's Michigan State team, but at the same time. I don't doubt. I think that there's a. It's a valid question. I guess it's just. I just still can't wrap my head around. But last year's Michigan State team didn't play like this year's. No, I get. I I get that, right? And I mean, obviously they didn't because that team would have gone further. It's just uh, (laughs) true. It's more impressive. Just to me, it's more impressive on Michigan State's end. That's even a question because, like I said, you know, Jaron Jackson's averaging twenty as a rookie. You know, and Miles Bridges is having a good rookie year too. It's like. But Ben Carter, that right? they were able to, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> and uh, so I don't know. I don't really think it's that relevant. I, I just, uh, you know, for this year's team, I did. I would say though, I never really felt the same way about this year's team that I did about last year's team. Is like last year, you kind of got, you kind of had the sense that it, that they were going to keep going. Uh, I mean, in my I, I kind of had Michigan going out against. I didn't fill out a bracket, but uh, after watching Texas Tech against Buffalo, who I think actually was a pretty good team, mm-hmm. I definitely got the sense that Michigan was 
it was going to be that 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 matchup would be tougher for them than whoever won between Gonzaga and Florida State. That I, I yeah. felt like that for I, sure. I agree. I actually and, uh, did put Texas Tech and Auburn in my in Virginia in my Final Four. If I can throw in a brag there, I got that's fine. Cool. Way <laughs> to go. Um, but uh, I didn't fill one out, so I have that. I but but say we were all talking before that. the game too, and I think I think you were talking. I mean, everyone at our site was even looking and thinking, you know. Number one defense, and, and the way they I play defense up. is just, you know, because like Michigan's a great defense, and I, I I liken it to Wisconsin's defense and and Virginia's defense a little bit, where it's all about redirecting things. You know, it's it's like running you off the three point line, uh, keeping you oh, preventing shot attempts at the rim, and and avoiding fouls, and and basically forcing teams into like these mid range situations. Texas Tech's defense blocks shots, tur- forces turnovers. I mean, it's they blocked shots more than Michigan State. They turned the forced turnovers more than Illinois. I mean, it was a it was a behemoth, and and frankly, I think Michigan was completely rattled in, in that game. Not that we need to pick apart every minute, but like it just right. it was a bad matchup. And I I think last year, I'm not discounting what they did, right? Because the banners are still there, but they didn't play a team seated higher than them. Or, or even seated like near them until the championship game. You know, I mean, they played a seven seed A and M, nine seed Florida State. You know, Houston as a six seed was the closest. You know, if you're looking at seeds, they don't make these seeds out of nothing. Was the closest seeded matchup that they had until the championship game. So it was, it was a little different. And and they faced a team that obviously one of the top five or so teams in the country in the Sweet Sixteen. Right. Yeah, we'll see. I think, you know, like I said, I never felt the same way about this year's team that I did last year's team. I just, they were much too volatile on the offensive end. There wasn't Mm. really a steadying force, whether, you know, again, Texas Tech, great defense or whatever, but regardless of that, there was never a really much of a steadying force on the offensive end. It was just, it was either one guy stepping up, you know, there was never that game, like say like A&M last year where everybody clicked. Right. And, And it, felt mm-hmm. like it was always a possibility that they could have that, but there was always a bigger possibility that they would have like a one, not maybe a one for 19, but something more mm-hmm. along those lines than they would that game where everybody's like on, you know? And yeah. so, and it all comes back to what we said. I mean, we both said heading into the game, that perimeter shooting was probably going to determine the outcome of the game for Michigan. That's exactly <laughs> what happened. I mean, in a way the game turned out exactly the way we said it would just maybe, not little, as extreme, yeah. Yeah, you know, like, so uh, that's where I'm at. I mean, we'll see who comes back next year and all that jazz or whatever. But, you know, I think, you know, they they should – they'll probably be a top – I don't know. Again, it's just going to depend on who does return or whatever. But hard not to see them being a, a preseason top 10 team next mm-hmm. year, right? I mean – I absolutely um, agree. I mean, unless they lose all three – we can shift to this next year talk – Unless they lose Matthews, Poole, and Brisdakis, and then maybe lose like a rotation guy as a transfer or something, you know, unless it's like a crazy lot, m- amount of departures. Yeah. I mean, Bart Torvik, who does a great job, he's does a lot of analytics stuff. He has actually gone through every single team and like he hasn't looked at transfers, but he's looked at NBA departures and things and, and tried to break it down. And there's some, and he's actually added the value of recruits too. And 
and he has Michigan as the number one team in the country next year. I can. I mean, if if hard not to say if Brozdakis and Poole both come back, right. it's kind of hard not to agree. I mean, granted, you know, I, I mean, wouldn't you? I didn't. I haven't seen this list, but I mean, State with Winston back, would they be number one and number two? That's what he has, and he has Virginia three, Does he really? yeah. Kansas oh, four, total- Kentucky five. Man, crazy. That's yeah, it. but I but it's hard not to agree though. You know, with Winston, who I suspect will come back, uh, it's hard not to see them that being the case, right? I mean, who yeah. else does State lose? Goins and McQuaid, which is which are two McQuaid. losses, but well, but so is Matthews for Michigan, right? I mean, right, not, yeah, right, exactly. Not, uh, yeah, and and they have so. they have guys just like Michigan does. You know, Castleton and Bingham are basically they're not the same player, but it's like the same deal. Add some weight. Learn how to play big game, big man basketball in the Big Ten. You know they've got uh, Gabe Brown and Johns, maybe are similar. Brzezakis is uh, maybe they're Aaron Henry. Uh, you know you could you could parse right. through it all, whatever. But yeah, they're both going to be in the top group. I don't want to number one. This is one site well before. I mean Duke's still gonna. I assume all the blue bloods are still going to add their recruits that they add in like April uh, or May, and so. You know, and you don't know exactly everything, but Michigan, unless they lose all three, it's going to be in that top group. And then, I mean, then suddenly you're looking at an experienced team. Last this year, I know people say, well, they had they had a lot of guys back from the championship run. They had two seasons of of starting experience back. You know, entering the season, they lost three of their top four scorers for the second year in a row. Right? It's one thing to lose it once; it's another thing to lose it twice. Like you know, six of your last eight top scores or whatever. So, I mean, you know, you look at every every good Michigan team has had a veteran off the bench. They didn't have that this year. You know, they've had, uh, you know, multi-year starters. I mean, 2018, they had Mo Wagner had started two years. Duncan Robinson had started two years and effectively started three years. Uh, you know, um, uh Muhammad Ali Abdurrahman had started in all four years. I mean, they had some experienced guys, and you could say the same about 2017. So, you know, the experience helps. The shooting, I think, is a is a sincere thought. You know, Jalen Wilson and Cole Bajima, four-star uh, wing-type recruits who come in, don't know what they're going to look like, right? We didn't know. You know, we have no idea what Johns and Castleton will bring or DeJulius. Uh, but they did shoot their worst three-point shooting since 2010. That's probably the one. That's probably the one concern that I look at at Michigan and say I don't know that that's going to be fixed. But everything else, I mean, the ISO basketball. It sounds like Beeline's really motivated to figure that out. I mean, he talked about it within minutes of losing uh, on on Thursday, to working on you know when when teams switch on screens and basically force Michigan to play isolation basketball, cut off some of those passing lanes. It's, you know, it seems like he's ready to to get back to the drawing board on that a little bit. Um, other concerns? So like you talk about Blue Bloods rebuilding, so just for the heck of it, I haven't looked at the basketball recruiting rankings in a while. Mm-hmm. I think it's, you think it's kind of comical that Arizona still has the number one class in the country? Like, <laughs> is he still is is, is Miller still the coach? As far as I know, I think yeah. It's just funny that with all that stuff swirling around their program. They have the number one class in the country. Kentucky, of course, number two. Am I allowed to say Duke. money talks for Arizona on Duke. that one? <laughs> yeah, right. Duke, number 10. 
But see, I but think they're going to add a few. Yeah. Their per recruit average, ninety nine point two five. Wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it's just funny, man. Like basketball recruiting is really funny to me. So, um, props to Gonzaga, fifth class in the country right now. So. Well, I think, um, and I think that's yeah. a little bit of our services. Not to opine like this, but Gonzaga's had a lot of foreign recruits, and I don't know that they always got the proper sure. rating that they probably deserved. Um, You're right, though. Yeah, Pavel Zakharov, yeah, Uamar Balo, Martinez Arlaskis. Yeah, you're right. They're full of guys from all over the world. That's pretty interesting. And so, so I think I think our site, if I can toot our own horn, I think we're constantly getting better at things such as evaluating players from you know because like Mo Wagner, I don't. If he was an American, do you think he is rated higher than 120th? Coming out yeah. of high, you know, I, I would think so. I and, agree. And I think Iggy, you know, there was that whole thing where he was like in the 70th in the composite for some reason, even though 24-7 had him high. But even even if he was like in playing in D.C., he might have been even, he might have been a five-star. You know, I think think you can make that case. So, um, but anyway, yeah, you don't know who's recruiting where or whatever. There's still some stuff to be sorted out. I can't imagine Michigan's not going to be in the top group again. I can't imagine yep. they're not going to be. I'd put it one A one B for the Big Ten. You know, with them in Michigan State. I mean, there's going to be other teams with uh, Maryland. Who knows who they bring back? And Indiana. I'm a little skeptical on them, but Purdue. Uh, it's going to be right there. Iowa probably is going to return a lot. Um, you know, you can go down. The, it's going to be competitive, but I think we're going to have a, another year where Michigan and Michigan State are. Maybe a head, not head and shoulders, but a head above everyone else. And so, if you're a Michigan Wisconsin fan, trending bound, you think? With yeah, uh, maybe. I yeah. I mean, Reavers is good. They do get Micah Potter as a transfer coming out of the. He sat this year, but yeah, if you're losing Hap, you know Davison and and Trice. I like. I think they'll be tournament caliber. I just don't know if they're going to be in your face, uh, Michigan and Michigan State level i think the only only two teams i could put on that list right now are maryland and purdue and and maryland might lose some guys so and purdue might lose some guys they might lose the one guy (laughs) so so but but if you're a michigan fan and this is what i've been kind of telling people this week if you're looking at a team that's probably going to be top 10 preseason that's probably going to be one or two in the big 10 preseason rankings um, by the way, I got a lot of flack for putting Michigan State number one in the Big Ten in my preseason rankings last fall. Would like to pat myself on the back for that one because didn't didn't let Anything you guys. Anything else you want to like shoot your <laughs> horn about? That's oh, it'll come up. What? It'll come up. I'm sure. All right. But but if you're okay. you know if you're Michigan if you're a Michigan fan you know top ten again, what top one or two in the Big Ten again? That's that's what you can ask for. That you are living in a a golden age frankly i know they don't have a title and it's only two final fours so far but you are living in a golden age of michigan basketball where year in year out they can lose guys they can they can replace guys they can have new guys step up and they're still contenders uh so so consistently so you know i my the point of my column back in back on you know over the weekend was Michigan raised the bar this year. You know, they 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 had a bar top twenty ish. They were clearly better than that. They they improved a lot. They did a lot, and they showed. I mean, every time Beeline does this, it makes it a little bit more real, right? Because when they when they went had those runs in 2013, 2014, 
and then they kind of fell. They missed the tournament. Uh, there are obviously factors at play, and they barely got into the tournament the next year. No one knew that if they were going to get all the way back, right? Like they, Things looked bright on the horizon, but no one knew if they were going to get back to a top 10 level. Well, they did twice. And so I think... I think if you're a Michigan fan, you know, it's it's a sour end to the season and it probably, you can't get any closer to winning uh, a conference title or making a final four without actually doing it. You know, you had uh, th- two two times where you were a game away against a rival. I get where it stings, but you are in a in a I would argue a golden age of Michigan basketball. So, you know, enjoy it. We'll see who comes back. Uh we can do a once we know who's back. We can do maybe a little bit more thorough of a breakdown. But I'm looking across the board. I mean, there's like individual things that each player can do. But this team's going to be really good. I agree. I think we said a lot. Yeah, we're good on. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, switching to football. So Jim Harbaugh spoke with us reporters on Wednesday. Frankly, I had not paid too much attention. The The big takeaways prior to Harbaugh speaking, um, you know, the offense, everyone likes the offense. I think it would be much more alarming if they were not, if, you know, didn't have positive things to say about the offense. But, you know, everyone likes the offense. Uh, you, got, you got new pieces on the defense. I know Don Brown said he thinks this is the fastest defense. I'm looking at the personnel. I think it's possible. I mean... You know, I know I don't think it's going to be quite as good, and until I see it with my own eyes, some of these players replacing other players. But got a lot of quick twitch guys, and I mean, you know, your your third cornerback and your nickel back and your your Sam linebacker. I mean, all these guys look faster than what Michigan had starting at those positions last year. But anyway, Harbaugh talks basically gives an entire depth chart. Actually, I think he literally does give an entire. He he didn't mention who the starting punter was, but. I assume the reigning Big Ten punter of the year would be the starting punter. Um, <laughs> and so he yeah, gives every – MVP last year, could argue. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I, what, what, did he, what did he finish second? Did he, didn't he win the – he didn't win the Ray guy, but didn't he like – he was a finalist? Was he's not he? the MVP, but he's way further up there than the average fan would say. I would assume, I'll check, but I would assume the Big Ten punter of the year was probably a Ray guy finalist. I don't know that he was, because one thing I will say, I don't know what the Ray Guy finalist criteria was, but Will Hart, I don't want to go down this road. I, I think Drew Christman should have won Big Ten Punter of the Year uh, out of Ohio State. I think he he had he was more. He semifinalist for the Ray Guy Award. Last uh, see, it's, it's not a finalist. It's not the same. <laughs> no. First, but... team, first team all Big Ten from coaches and media and Associated Press, but yeah. not Zach. Look, man, go look at the touchbacks. Go look at the hang time. Go look at the the net that net punting. Anyway, he was second though. I, I'll put him second. All right. <laughs> anyway, Harbaugh told us who the starter was at every other position. I assume punting starter is safe. Um, let's start with the depth chart, and we can talk a little bit more about the specific team issues. Any any major surprises from this from this depth chart for you? I mean, was there anyone that? I mean, we're I, I do think our sleeper pick gallery or slideshow that we did uh, that you can go check out over at 24-7 Sports. But I feel like we hit hit the nail on the head on a few of these. Any Anyone stand out to you that's in the depth chart that you weren't expecting? 
Uh, I mean, maybe slightly Jameric Woods, but not really, mm-hmm. I guess. I mean, that was probably going to either be Woods or Hawkins at this point either way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but seeing him mention Woods as separating himself, I think – I actually think that's good news because I think – I mean, Hawkins is probably the better pure athlete, but yes, Woods – is I think a guy that maybe has a higher ceiling there overall. I like that Hawkins is the nickel starter. I think that's a better fit for him personally. Mm-hmm. You know, and again, we'll see what happens when Daxon Hill gets on campus because right, I kind of, of feel like all bets are off when that happens, right? But you, um, I would for for the record, I would expect him to take one of those jobs. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, it's not. I don't think it's. I don't. I wouldn't. I don't know. I I think he can. Eh, yeah, I mean, I, I'd probably if I was betting on it, I'd probably bet on him. Yeah, to take one of those two spots. Yeah, you know, I, but we'll see though, because Woods again played really well. Well played, all right in the bowl game. Nobody really played. He played better than Tyree Kennel. I mean, right? Yeah, exactly. I don't know. It's hard to tell what to take from that game. You yeah, I, I still take nothing from that game, but yeah. that's a whole other topic. So, uh, so that was kind of the. I guess that was the real one. So here's the thing. Like, one of the dumb people things is, like, this whole crap that we get or that the coaches get when they, like, hype somebody up as if, like, you have to win a national championship for a guy to be hyped up in the off season and it actually come true. So, like, oh, you – oh, well, oh, it's just the same old every year about hyping these guys up in the off season and then – they lose. They don't do anything in the season, which is mm. yeah. It's, I have two examples right, saying, of when that was actually accurate. When they were hyped up, and then they did not live up to the hype in the fall, and he, and they were starters or not starters, but you know, key contributors. Under four five years of covering this team, Brian Monet and Ty Isaac were the only ones that didn't live up to the hype, and I think Monet. I, I think they both had injuries. Right. Yeah. Monet did for sure. The year that they were, yeah, that was the year he hurt his foot. Mm-hmm. Was the year that Harbaugh said he was like the third highest ranked player on the team or something. Oh, like that. I was so, thinking of of last last year actually. Oh, but but okay. well, he played all right last year. Yeah, like the guys last year. It was it was Nico Collins. It was yes, exactly. Peoples Jones. It was yeah. Mike Dwumfor was a big one. Um, uh, trying to think. Who else? Josh Uche, uh, Quiddy Pay. Yeah, other one. I mean, yep. the, you know. Right. So okay. So the theme is, is like, I listen to them when they're hyping up a guy consistently because yes, like you just said, more often than not, that guy ends up doing something. So the other big thing that I've taken away so far because Harbaugh kind of has been a little as open as he's ever been about this stuff. The two names that I heard, especially yesterday, but the one that I keep, and I, I think I mentioned this on, uh, I don't know, I talked, maybe we talked about it already, but was if you listen to the first names, the first names that came out of both Don Brown and Jim Harbaugh's mouth were Donovan, was Donovan Jeter. Mm-hmm. A, a month, a month ago, I think I said that I thought Donovan Jeter was maybe their most important player heading into spring camp. Hmm. So you put that to get you put two and two together there, that's a good that's a good thing, if you're Michigan, mm-hmm. you know because they need bodies in the middle. He's a guy that's kind of always been on the cusp, but hasn't really had the opportunity either. 
to hear him taking the next step is about as best-case scenario as you can find. And then the other one that Harbaugh mentioned yesterday is a guy in the two-deep is Welshaw. Yeah. That's a great – that's a great – New, that's great news if you're Michigan, if he's in the two deep right now. Because mm-hmm. that means that guys are developing. You know, because I actually think on the edge, I think they're going to be fine this year. Because I've said it before, I think Aiden Hutchinson's going to be a, a great Who got player some off script praise from Harbaugh. Because that's, that's what we talk he, about. It's like, when yeah. does Harbaugh go off script to like commend somebody? Uh, Aiden yeah. Hutchinson no, got Hutchinson's some. Gonna be a yep. Stud. yep. He's going to be a. He's going to be an all-conference, all-American type guy before he's before he leaves. I was going to say graduates, but if he continues to ascend, maybe he is a three-year guy. I don't know, but I think he's almost a safe bet to take a big leap this year. And then Quiddy Pay is already produced. Mm-hmm. Uche is already produced. You know, I just on the I'm if you're Michigan, I'm way less concerned about what you get on the edge than you are in the middle. Yeah. So to hear Jeter being mentioned by. All three, I think. I don't remember if Nua mentioned specific. I assume well, he did. Well, I'm sure he did. But, yeah, but but it's right, different but, but when they Don ask Brown, how's Donovan Jeter looking versus how are things, and they say Donovan yeah. Jeter's doing a really, you know, like First try to pay attention if you're a fan when they go out of their way to, for this praise because that's that's what yep. means something. Yep. So, yeah, that was a big one for me. Um, otherwise, well. Again, nobody wanted to listen. I said I thought Mozzie Smith could work his way into the two deep. Uh, Harbaugh said he's already there mm-hmm. behind Carlo Kemp. So not a surprise yeah. on this end of now, the totem pole. Now it is notable with some of these depth chart things. Like Sane Rastill is, uh, is a starting receiver. Vincent Gray is a starting corner. Uh, you know, Welshoff and Mozzie Smith. They are going to have some pieces that come back that are that might bump them down, right? Like, you got Mike Dana coming in. He's not at, on the team yet. You've got, um, what's, Michael Dwumfor, a, a defensive tackle. He's injured. Donovan right. Peoples-Jones, Nico Collins, Lavert Hill are also out. But, and I think this this is very true about the the Welshoff uh, uptick, is, like, when, when, it's, when it's guys that you didn't hear of who now you are hearing of, that means that there's, that there's progress and and it's significant progress to where they're maybe passing some people, you know, other scholarship like people. If you, right. I feel like if you read his transcript, there are ways where you can kind of tell when he's not just cause like he does, he lists literally almost every name on the roster. Yeah. Including like fourth string one, walk-ons. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just on this, he's talking about defensive line alone, right? Just one paragraph, Luigi Villain, Quiddy Pay, Mozzie Smith, Ben Mason, Julius Welshoff, Aiden Hutchinson, Taylor Upshaw, Gabe Newberg, Ron Johnson, Dane Drobaki, David Ojabo, Joey George, Carl Myers. Like he literally lists like thirteen, four. I don't even, I don't even know how many that was. But, but if you just read, you have to read, sort of try to read in between the lines a little bit, mm-hmm. you know. And, uh, you know, when he says like Welshoff's made a move, to me that's a that's a more noteworthy. Yes. Pass somebody, you know, statement. Then, yeah, you know, like then he talks about Ojabo, who again I don't think is a a year one guy. Uh, I don't think anyone wanted you know, expected him to be. Yeah, right. You know, and he talks about Ojabo for a while, and it's like, okay, that sounds good, but you know, to hear Welshops made a move to me, that's significant. So, um, trying to think, I'm I'm just kind of scrolling real quick back through. I read all this. Uh, so, what do you think earlier. of of Sainer still? Because this is someone that you. I mean, as someone who covers recruiting. He didn't recruiting. even count as a sleeper. Like, that's what there were. I think people were like, I know those of us who had covered the class, watched the film, all that stuff, 
Like when I went to pick a sleeper for the class, I didn't count him as a potential sleeper because he he was kind of like the sort of what Hudson was when Hudson came out. So a three-star that you didn't agree with? Yeah, a guy that I would have ranked higher for sure. And a guy that like – so I don't consider that much of a sleeper, right? So like Sainer still was – the question was really twofold. A, was he going to play on defense or offense? Because it was always a possibility that he he could be on either side. I mean, both sides of the ball wanted him on their side. Mm -hmm. And then B, if he was that receiver, would it be a question of, you know, could he have just been a really talented backup? Because they already have good, you know, you had Ronnie Bell. You had Oliver Martin potentially in that spot. You know, so if if he hadn't come in and been an instant impact guy or a guy who was going to play right away, would not have necessarily meant that he wasn't like, going to be a stud you know it's just that he might be playing behind other guys mm-hmm. right so to me i'm i make a lot of it out of it because i it kind of backs up not what i thought i don't know if he'd have been my first choice as far as like this guy's this guy's 100 percent gonna blow up right away but i'm not also not surprised at all again massachusetts kid didn't do all the bells and whistles camps in the off season, you know, that type of thing. Michigan, the, one of the biggest things that happened in the 19 cycle was that everyone was so focused on uh, Louis Cine at Everett when he was there before he transferred. And I think, and I'd, I'd say if even early on, I was guilty of this is that I don't think people realize that Michigan really, really, really loved Mike Sainer still too. You know, and he committed to Virginia tech pretty early in the process, but the Michigan stayed on him the whole time. I think if people remember that was a race where, it was pretty much a foregone conclusion for about three months mm-hmm. that he was going to flip to Michigan. And then he finally decommitted. He had visited. He was going to flip that first weekend he visited. And then he held off, waited a couple more months for, I don't really know because it was, again, it was never really a question that he was going to eventually flip, but he didn't decommit for a couple more months from Virginia tech and then flipped to Michigan shortly after whatever. But he was like a legit top target for them. And a guy, again, I, like I said, I go back to Michael Barrett, uh, I'm trying to think of who else. Like, they're just guys that you watch, and you're like, yeah, this guy. Like, this guy just he he has that it. Like, your mom could turn on the film and say, yeah, this guy's really good. <laughs> you know, like, well, you know, not like the hey, distinguish the difference between an 89 and a 90 offensive lineman on film. You know, it's mm-hmm. like a guy that a layman could turn on, you know, uh, his highlight reel and say, yeah, this guy's like really really good. Like this guy is probably going to be a good football player at the college level. And like, he was one of those types of guys. So not a huge surprise. Uh, it seems clear he's at least he's going to play. Right. I mean, and he's already the backup on special teams too. Yeah. That's, yeah. He's right I behind mean, Ronnie with, Bell at the return. And man, I, with as many vets as they have that can fill those spots to be a backup in those two, in those two areas is significant as well. I mean, I suspect that means he'd be on the field for kickoff, right? Cause they throw two guys. I know they have their one main, but don't they usually throw, I, I got a, I remember they, the NCAA just changed one of the rules about having two return. I, I don't know enough. So I, I will say I'm never. not sure, but you know, Harb the way Harbaugh talks about Sainer still, and, and, you know, we talk about, the way they talk about these players sometimes means more than what they actually say or or the fact that they're mentioned. He strikes me as someone that is starting to, you know, it's it's early, but he seems like to me he's starting to enter that um, Ben Mason, Chase Winovich category of like, 
players Harbaugh just really loves to coach and to have on the team. Not that he doesn't love all, you know, almost all of his players, but I think there's some people that just the the football guys, as <laughs> the saying goes, no, you know, that, I know. I know that you, sticks out to it, Harbaugh a little bit more. And I think right. Peppers entered that category too. Um, not to, I mean, this is unfair to say Sanders still is going to be any of those guys, but you know, he talked about Eric all, he had nice things to say about Eric all, you know, about how he's been working and, and he mentioned, I think every early enrollee, but obviously except a couple of them are Magnum, except for McNamara, but he's, but we've already heard good things about McNamara. Yeah. Too, and um, he's mentioned McNamara in the past as well. So, and so, but like, you know, he's talked about everybody, everybody's gotten mentioned, but Sane was still obviously, I mean, he had, what, 500 words to say? Sometimes his entire press conference is only 700 words. And after the Peach Bowl, is like 250, you know, and so he's got that much to say about Sane was still. To me, that says, I think he's definitely going to play. Again, they, they've got Peoples-Jones, they've got Collins, they've got Black. Right. You know, we don't know what Giles Jackson, Cornelius Johnson, some of these other players are going to bring. Uh, Oliver Martin is is one of the starting receivers right now. Uh, Ronnie Bell isn't going anywhere, but well, yeah, Ronnie I think, Bell looked good last year. Yeah, well, that's what I mean. It isn't going anywhere, meaning he's going to be right back right. in the mix. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. So, yeah, I think, I think you know, obviously the position looks a little thin right now. If Eric All was the fifth receiver, according to to Harbaugh's comments, uh, you've got McCurry and Sheenley injured as well as Collins and Peoples Jones and some early enrollees or regular enrollees haven't gotten here yet but yeah I think yeah keep your eye on Sainra still you know that's the way Harbaugh talks about him it reminds me of Mason Winovich Peppers earlier on in their careers uh you know because I mean all of a sudden Ben Mason's playing you know you shouldn't be surprised that they're trying to find as many snaps as they can for Ben Mason I mean you heard Harbaugh how he talked about him in you know during fall camp his freshman year and so, I don't know. It's something to keep an eye on. Uh, Eric All was probably, him and Mozzie Smith are probably the other two early enrollees who are getting what I would call significant mention. Uh, Eric All playing some receiver. Uh, it makes sense. He's 215 pounds around. Yep. You know, he's still, he's still, he's on the bulk up plan. Um, uh, trying to think if they're offensive line quarterback, no surprises. Not too much to talk about there. Oh, Mm. Yeah, it's probably. I mean, Vincent Gray wasn't a surprise to us. Might be a surprise to others. Uh, no, but he was a guy that got he got significant pub last year, though. I feel like just yeah. Don Brown talked about what? Yeah, and Zordich yeah. The deal did. was is just that yeah. You just had David Long, Lavert Hill, Brandon Watson. You know, he had other guys in front of him, but he's a guy that yeah. When you talk about when you talk about like how maybe one and two won't be as strong as one and two was last year just because David Long was so good. Mm-hmm. But that one, two, and three might be better as a whole. And, again, never a slight to Brandon Watson, who I know he struggled against Ohio State, but overall I think he completely outplayed expectations during his time at Michigan. Um, yeah, that's fair. But, that's a fair assessment. Right? Yeah. But, um, you know, a Hill-Thomas-Gray combo – feels like it has higher upside, you know, and, um, you know, cause yeah, he was one of those guys last year that didn't get to play a ton, but is a guy that we consistently heard good things about and consistently, you know, 
wrote good things about based mm-hmm. on what we were hearing. So yeah, well, and I think this yeah. was someone that you know he was a late ad, and I think when when it's someone's a late ad to a class, it either means he was like a, a kind of a desperate backup plan, or it's somebody that they saw and were like, oh, we got to get him some way somehow. I mean, it seems like I would imagine Michigan's patting their back a little bit based on what we've heard. They're kind of pack, patting their back a little bit for scouting Vincent Gray the way they did because he was not heavily – I mean, he had high major or well, FBS offers. Late, but. That was a late find. I mean, other schools had found him. I think Missouri – was he committed to Missouri? I don't think he was committed. Missouri's, yeah. Missouri is really good at – Missouri is one of those schools that hmm. at least – I don't know if they have the same staff that they did, but I know for a long time Missouri was always really good at evaluating defensive backs. Like, they put some defensive backs in the league. So – and I think um, Cal he had some had good found offers. Him too. Yeah, he he had yeah. he had well, solid State. offers, but yeah, yep. felt Oregon, like yeah. I think. I mean, okay, all right, all right. I'll I'll back backtrack. He wasn't out of nowhere. I'll, I'll make sure to mention well, that. Well, I think as as an in-state guy, I mean, those guys a lot of times are guys that are are have been on or are always kind of on Michigan's radar. You know, it's not a deal where like they didn't know who he was until the last minute. I think it's a guy where they just. Sometimes you move down the board a little bit and then you, you hit. And that's what part of the eval you know, that's kind of a big part of the evaluation process is doesn't really get a lot of publicity is like, hey, when uh and this isn't to diminish any prospects, I'm just saying like if plan A doesn't work out, you want a plan B that can be as good as your plan A, right? Mm-hmm. And so like a lot of times that doesn't really get a lot of pub when, you know, maybe a late eval or a guy that they've maybe had in the back burner or you know, been kind of waiting on or whatever pans out that, that means as much as like a Trent Jones who committed to Michigan was a three-star and ended up as a borderline top 100 guy. You know, to me, it's, to me, it's pretty similar, you Mm -hmm. know, as far as like they're as big a deal, but the one of the Jones type situation gets a lot more pub than like a Vince Grace situation. Right. Um, I just, I always felt like, you know, I'm not some film guru. I won't pretend to be. I always felt like I always do. I try to watch everybody's film. I always felt like that was someone where, you know, you've got your guys who you were like probably should be ranked a little higher. He was he was that for me, uh, and so there yeah. we go. Another no, backpack, I mean, right? I'm not a, <laughs> yeah, right. No, I'm not like a, I've never considered myself like a big film. I I can watch film and I could probably give like a decent opinion on it, like better than most people. Mm-hmm. But I'm not somebody who like. I would never trust me to rank and rate guys. You know, yeah, like that's, I think if I, I saw 10 guys, I, I'd be like, they all look pretty good. <laughs> right. Like, that's not what I do. So, you know, I don't feel guilty or bad in sure. saying that. It's just that's, that's the, you know, that's what it is. I wasn't hired to do that. But I've I've gotten better at it. Mm-hmm. But I don't – I'm also not – to be honest, I'm not actively trying to get better at it either. You know, I, I just try to get the info most of the time. So I try to tell stories. But there are guys that but, we see – there are yeah. guys, that, like I said, that we see – that, that I say, hey, this guy's not ranked high enough. Watch his film. And then somebody who's knows what they're looking for will see it and say, Nah, you're wrong. You know, or <laughs> do they go back but, and tell you or, that you're wrong or do they just not move them up? Yeah, <laughs> just don't move them. But I'd say my hit rate in that regard, I'm very like, because that's the thing, like, with as far as rankings go, people are probably wondering, like, our input, like, my input is it's relatively minimal. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get a couple opportunities to, I mean, we can always reach out, right, to like Barton or whoever. We could, if yeah. we see a guy, we can always send it to him and say, "Hey, you should look at this guy." But it's not a situation where it's like, 
where we're on the conference call or that we're in the room when they're like dictating the rankings and stuff. I mean, it's not even close to that, but I'm, so I try to just be very careful in who I, you know, if it's a guy that I feel strongly about, then I'll maybe follow up and say, Hey, no, I really think you should give this guy a bigger look, you know? And, you don't think everyone um, Michigan goes after is underrated. Uh, and funny. Yeah, <laughs> it is funny. They are, they are very good at evaluating though. I mean, we've talked about that at length on the board in recent weeks, as far as, Saw how many guys last cycle took humongous leaps in the rankings. They meaning Michigan. Yeah, yep. And then, but then you even go to 2020 here, where probably double digit guys that we had listed as top targets on the board on our board that we put together. uh, I want to say like more than 10 of those guys like took humongous leaps in our recent re rank. Which again, Hmm. if there's a not a better indication that they're doing a good job evaluating. I don't know what, you know, I don't know. Again, our rankings, yeah. I wouldn't say they're infallible, but I would say that there's zero doubt that we put more effort into them than, you know, we rank real human beings. I think we talked about that a couple <laughs> weeks ago. Like the guys that everybody that we rank is like a legitimate human being. So, um, so yeah. So like that, you know, like that, that's part of like that, Matt, that matters. And, uh, but I, I put way more stock into what, you know, that was one of the the best parts of merging with Scout or buying Scout was that, like, a lot of their, like, their evaluators are very, very good. Guys like Alan Triu and uh, Brandon Huffman, mm-hmm. Greg Biggins, Brian Doan. Like, those guys are, th- those guys are very, very, very good. And then you add that group to the guys that we already had at 24-7 with Wilt Fong and Barton and, uh trying to think of some of the other national guys sorry well even charles power who's back with 24 7 now does an awesome job you know those guys luke stampini like those guys are really good at it too so that i always thought that was you know i think that's one of the biggest things about 24 7 is like there is a true like great meeting of the minds as far as like evaluating players now and ranking them because you gotta not be very thorough i mean i don't think anyone's going thir- like yeah <laughs> about as thorough as you could possibly get and uh you know that that's what that's one of the deals where it's like and you're seeing it play out more and more each and each and every draft you're seeing a higher and higher correlation Mm -hmm. to the recruiting rankings as and as far as guys are being drafted i mean of course the two star or the no star is always going to get a million times more attention everyone's going to say stars don't matter right but the (laughs) but by and large it's if it's not as clear as day at this point, um, it's getting clearer every cycle and it's going to continue to, in my opinion, because you know what NFL staffs are looking for, you know what college staffs are looking for. That plays a big role in it and all that jazz. But yeah. anyway, I don't know how we got in this topic. But yeah, I was going to say, I don't way. have a, I don't have a segue out of it. Uh, I, you know, That's fine. would say increased technology and resources makes evaluating a little bit yeah. easier Vin- too. Vincent so Gray. yeah. Um, Vincent, Vincent Gray. Gray. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Uh, I mean, everything else seemed relatively par for the course if you're clued in. Uh, probably can take it as a good sign that the offensive linemen, you know, we weren't quite sure. I At least I wasn't quite sure if every, without naming names, if every lineman had locked down their starting job, but Harbaugh made it sound like they have. I uh, take that as a good sign, not because no one's pursuing them, but because you have high-ranked you know, emerging upperclassmen who have experience, but these guys are really, at least the four that are starting, are really cementing themselves. I think that means that there's consistency every day. 
which for a couple of them was not always the case. Uh, but yeah, O line not not too much there. Uh, safety, yeah, we talked about that linebacker going as expected. Um, do you agree with Uche yeah, he, at the an, Sam? Another, oh, go ahead. Well, that's just he's always he's just kind of a versatile. Like I, yeah, he's kind of an amoeba for them. Like they just kind of throw. Like he's capable. His athletic ability allows them to do a lot of different things with him. So I don't know. Like the, the way like they talk about linebacker, I just don't pay too much attention to it outside of like more your mic and your will. You know, it's just mm-hmm. a, and then obviously, but the but the Sam spot is just it's such a an amoeba type deal. You know, he there that that guy's trying to get to the quarterback ninety five percent of the time. I feel like so. Right. Uh, as far as linebacker, the one other I would say though, it's. Very encouraging to hear that that Kaliki Hud that Kaliki Hudson is or Kalik Hudson has had a great I would say Kaliki uh, has had a good spring off script Michigan. praise like said, yep yeah like I said uh, I think I think those in Schembechler would agree I think he would probably agree that I think last year was a little bit of a disappointment for mm-hmm. him as strong as he finished 2017 and uh, again i think that i think that alone is one of the primary reasons why michigan's defense is still going to be really good this year because i think he is going to have a big bounce back maybe not a how do i say it not a bounce back season but maybe he'll pick up where he left off at the end of 2017 that's a you know, bounce like, back that's people, that's bouncing back you bounce down and then you bounce back up but i think he might do better than like to say that okay. he bounced back means sure. he got back to where he was okay we could break this down further if you want, as far as how where the bounce ends and where it was. But uh, no, like I think he was, you know, he was an ascending player at the end of 2017. I think he goes, I think he that's where he kind of continues that ascension from that that aspect. He played really well. I mean, you could take a little bit away from the bowl game and say that he played. I thought he played pretty well, or definitely gave a crap uh, in the bowl game. So. You know, I think there was that to take away too, as maybe a potential leader this year. But you know, hearing that he's having a good spring is is really good news for Michigan. Not that it's like a big surprise necessarily. It's just mm. it's encouraging to know that he, uh, you know, he's been playing really well. Yep, we got some questions. Maybe that'll help us tie up this this football talk. Uh, QED 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 said, uh, <laughs> if you. <laughs> Is an overlooked explanation of Harbaugh's newfound openness considering the depth chart that this is pretty much meaningless considering how early it is and how many players are injured slash not enrolled yet? If we're honest, he isn't really giving anything away in this case. And and so I so this opens up the, the discussion that I think some people want to have is is this a new Harbaugh or why is he so open? Uh it's not a new Harbaugh. I hope that narrative dies. I hope it dies with this podcast. It's you know, he might change here or there, but I mean, you know, if I, I, I think anyone who's who works full time will have days where they're a little bit higher energy, or days where they're, or weeks maybe, or months where they're a little bit more productive, and then and then there are times where they're not, I or or they have a different mentality one week than the next. I don't think it's a new Harbaugh. I think he's. I don't think he. People act like he was like this broken coach. I don't think that was true either. I think he's just kind of the same. I think there's something to it with all these, in, you know, I think he clearly wanted to outline the depth chart. He had it written down in front of him, uh, and that's new. But I think and I think some of it's new in that, you know, there are still some parts that are injured or are coming in. Uh, 
perhaps he was just tired of hearing people ask <laughs> who's who you know what is I mean we get those questions all the time on the podcast Steve it's like we got one today what do you think of the cornerback depth um you know who do you want to see play more at cornerback this year so it's you know and those are kind of the questions that Harbaugh gets asked do, do, what do you think of this openness I think if if anything I think he's just really excited about the team you know he had that quote toward the end of his press conference that I thought was really interesting that he thinks this team doesn't, you know, it crescendos toward the end of practice. They seem really in shape and really hungry. Uh, you know, and, and I think these coaches, the younger coach, I mean, they're high energy. Josh Gaddis talked to him two minutes, tell me he's not high energy. I think if anything, he's just excited about the group that he has. I don't think this is like some change deal. What do you think of him really outlining the depth chart and giving us uh, probably tw- at least twice as much info as he usually does in these spring pressers. In a spring presser, he doesn't normally give. Usually it's beginning and end. Uh, I don't know that we've had a middle one before. I haven't haven't tracked it. Yeah, I'm, honestly, without – I mean, there's not much to say. I pretty much agree with you across the board on that one, to be honest with you. I, I don't think there's – I think people y- – yeah – I think I do think it's the excitement about the current roster, and uh, and how maybe how they've come about this spring. People got to remember this is prop again not not this isn't like excuses or anything like that. It's just this is just like a fact. Is like this is his first roster that is like all guys that he recruited. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so um, I think that makes a difference. I think that you know it takes a while. It could take a while. And again, I'm not again I'm not saying like that that means anything that like that they should, that maybe people shouldn't be a little disappointed in the results the last couple of years, the type like stuff like that. I'm not saying that I'm just saying strictly from a culture standpoint, he's got all his guys now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think they, and it's clear just the way they recruit. You can, they, they talk about it on the pod on his podcast all the time is like, there's definitely a certain type of guy that they try to recruit. And yeah. I think now that they have a full roster of those guys, I think there's some excitement. I think they like guys that like to work. You know, and not again. Other schools like to recruit guys at work too. <laughs> yeah. But you, I was just saying, like, there's just a certain style or a mold of of player and person that they try to recruit. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that they are they're getting more and more of those guys into the system in the program every year. And I, yeah, I also yeah, I agree. Actually, I think a one thing that you mentioned right that you just mentioned that makes a lot of sense is I do. I think you have a younger staff. I think there's probably a lot of energy there. A lot of uh, I mean, anyone who's worked in an yeah. office, there are guys or, or girls, I sh- there are people who have infectious energy to them. And and when you add them to an office, maybe they're the fun guy. Maybe they're just they just work really hard and are really positive. I mean, every office or workplace has people who can kind of create synergistic energy, if that makes sense. And I don't know, right. talking to Gaddis seems like he could be one of those guys. I agree. Yeah. I think, well, but Gaddis is one of only a, you know, it's like Sharon Moore mm-hmm. is young. Sean Nua. I mean, you go again and Greg Madison, awesome defensive line coach going to miss him. You know, they're the players already, you know, probably already do miss him, but, the, but then Sean Nua though, think of the difference there and probably in the energy. I'll bet Nua is probably bringing a whole different level of energy to practice every day than Madison was, mm-hmm. you know, and um, Campanile, same deal. You know, again, replace the young guy in Al Washington, but still, it's like it's a, it's, uh, just the staff as a whole is just 
young feels younger and younger almost every year you know so i think that could be a i, could, I think that could be a thing and mm-hmm. uh and there is less again, so like there's a little bit less of con not that there was controversy before but like you know no quarterback uncertainty um other than running back you feel like they have about as good a depth as they've had at, at, at all these positions i'm running through in my head and i'm thinking well which which second string unit at at these positions couldn't win eight games, right? And I think that, other than running back, probably probably all of them you could. Yeah, the depth. Yep, yeah, and that's the other thing. I think if one guy goes down, they feel good about number two right now, especially up front. Mm-hmm. I think there are a lot of guys in there too deep on the offensive line who would be starting in other at other schools right Billy now. Billy Agus Spinellis like, for sure. Right? Hundred percent Filiaga, and uh, maybe even like a Ryan Hayes too. You know, I know we, we've been told he's not quite there yet, but that he's really quickly getting there. You have to assume whoever's backing up the other tackle spot, whoever wins that battle, the other right. guy is probably starter at a lot of other schools. <laughs> so, you know, or even uh, like a Honigford, you know, is another guy. You know, it's like so. I feel like. Uh, it's yeah. I mean, it's just it's weird. I don't know. It's, I don't like people are going to say this isn't their most talented team, but I, I you could still make the argument it it may be, um, especially mm-hmm. obviously on the offensive side. But I, I don't know. I just feel like there's some things coming together, and I think that's part of yeah. I think that's part of why. But again, who knows? Next presser, he'll come out and give a hundred words and then leave. You know, yeah, I mean, like, sometimes it just has oh, there's bad practices or it's just I don't know. Right. It, it's yeah. I think people I he's get it. Very touch and go with the media because like that's the thing is like I remember when he was being brought up by uh, as a potential guy for the job with San Francisco is he'd watch some of the YouTube videos and sometimes he'd be jovial and great and stuff and then sometimes he was just miserable, you know. And it's like and that's like he said like that literally could just depend on how that day of practice went. So it's like you could argue that maybe the two times he's spoken to the media this spring ball that they've had two really good practices, you know, it's how you don't know. I mean, that's just the way, but it is, I mean, it's the way he's always been because he's gone back and forth with the Michigan media too. You know, he's had some good pressers and he's had some bad pressers and that's not just like a post game type deal. It's like during the spring or fall camp heading into the season. Like he's a little, I don't want to say volatile, but it's just, you know, it is. It's up and down sometimes. So mm-hmm. uh, It also kind of depends yeah. on the questions. Time of year, too. I mean, he hates divisive. He calls them divisive questions or what the public wants to know. <laughs> but, like, you know, say a player is kind of in trouble with the team as being asked. Or, like, there's a there's an injury that he doesn't necessarily want known to the public that he's asked about. Or, or I think one time he was like, Someone was asking about the quarterback battle. And he says, I, "I don't really want to talk about position battles." And then, like two questions later, someone asked about the uh, left tackle battle, and he's like, "Oh, we're going to talk about that too." Well, like, you know, he's like pretty mad about it. And so, right? I mean, right. It, it, it. I wouldn't read too much into it. Your reaction, just like anything in spring ball, probably a tempered reaction, no matter what. You know, player stepping up, no guarantee. Player struggling, no guarantee. Harbaugh being a little bit more open. No guarantee, no nothing binding. Uh, so some other questions. Although that is it is an interesting explanation that there is a little bit less to hide uh, because like Mike Dana, Peoples Jones, Dwumfor, Collins, Hill, 
Charbonnet, Turner, Haskin. I mean, there's there's a lot of parts that will be Daxton Hill. You know, it's, it's a lot of parts right. that could still could still be a part of it. So it's not necessarily a binding one. Um, we got a question about cornerback depth. Who do you want to see play more? Cor- kind of talked about that. Uh, Ambry Thomas, reportedly the fastest player on the team. That's what I heard from players last year. Um, if he can work on the rest of his cornerback game, I mean, that's probably someone you want out there. What was one thing missing from some of the cornerback play last year? I think at times it was speed, you know, against against Ohio State. Obviously, Ohio State's really fast. Florida's really fast. I think Penn State's going to be fast this year. Um, so that was something that was missing. Uh I don't know if we have to hear, anything to hear him to hear them saying that he's a starter already is about again much like Donovan Jeter I think is about a best case scenario as you're going to get so yes but who the, would the beat him out well Gray is one I sure. mean again we've heard a lot of really good things about Gray for about 18 months at this point so I mean it's not you know it's very feasible for a guy like that to win a starting job I mean if they've you know talked him up as much as they have and he is playing. Because as often as he appears to be, or they're getting it, you know, is uh, not playing, but you know, getting the hype as often as he has, mm-hmm. you know. So Ambry's kind of that guy that I think everyone's been waiting for to kind of right. take that next step, you know. But it was different. It's like I compared it once to like sort of how Jordan Lewis, latter half of his sophomore year, and then really took off junior season. Uh, Lewis didn't play behind Lavert Hill and David Long, though. Like this is it's different where it's like Thomas has maybe had to wait his turn a little bit longer than Jordan Lewis did, but similar where like Lewis played played as as a freshman, he was okay. He played okay like for the first half of his sophomore year, and then kind of started to figure out near the latter half of his sophomore year, and then completely blew up his junior year. You know, so it's like. I say the the one thing I always say, and, and we'll see if it comes to fruition or not, but I know those in Detroit have always thought that Ambry had a higher ceiling than mm-hmm. either of Jordan Lewis or of Levert Hill. And uh, because and a lot of it was because of that speed that you talked about. You yeah. Know, because, yeah. And you're seeing a pipeline of guys in Detroit. You know, they know how to produce defensive backs in that area, whether it's Crowell is a big part in that too at Belleville or when he was at Cast Tech, you know, and, and at King. I mean, these – it is a quietly one of the best areas in the country for producing defensive backs at the high school and college level. And, uh, and Ambry has always been mentioned, and at least from my experience has been mentioned as a guy with the super, with the highest ceiling, you know? And so in that regard, maybe it's taken him a little bit longer because it's a ceiling deal. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, he didn't come in with a high, he didn't come in polished, but to hear that he's already kind of seized that spot, I think is, is again, is great news because I do, if he's a guy that if he figures it out, then Michigan will. And again, I say this as somebody who thinks that David Long is going to be drafted way later than he should be almost regardless of where he is drafted. Uh, they'll, people will forget about David Long quickly if Ambry kind of figures it out. So it's, it's certainly possible. I, I will say he's the only junior cornerback. They have Lavert Hill is the only senior on scholarship and Ambry's the only junior on scholarship, so I think kind of similar to um, some of the other players, it's like you almost would be more concerned if they weren't feeling good about him. But right. it, it, it's not nothing either. I mean, the, you know, it's and I think that's fair yeah. to say if you weren't hearing about him, that yes, that it's it'd be more alarming. But at the same time, though, not just hearing about him, you're they're already penciling him in as a 
starter, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, uh, at right corner, because Levert would be starting at left. Yeah. So, you know, I think that's much more noteworthy than just saying he's coming along, you mm-hmm. know, and so that's where, I, that's sure. where I'm kind of going with that one. Yep. So. Elsewhere in the cornerback depth, just to round it out, a lot of emerging, rising sophomores. I, I'm not I, – some, sometimes I have a hard time keeping track of who's at safety and who's at corner. Uh, they, it did seem like, based on the transcript, maybe you read it differently, Jalen Kelly Powell might be moving – to corner again, uh, maybe that was a he's mis. He's gone back and forth. He's gone back and forth. Maybe that was a misspeak right? by Harbaugh. Didn't mention him at he safety. Did he? Oh, okay. Maybe that was yeah, a misread by uh, me. Backing up Hawkins <laughs> at nickel. Okay. Which is a backup nickel probably means he'll see significant. Yeah. Yeah. Time. I mean, it depends, depends on who you play, right? what the situation right. is. Um, but you know, guys like Miles Sims, uh, Hunter Reynolds. It, I think maybe keep that name in your in your. In your docker, just because he's beaten out so many scholarship guys, obviously they're younger scholarship guys, but still um, also speaks to how experience can be such a key cog in in cornerback play. Uh, think think that's pretty well documented. I don't think we need to really make that argument too much. Uh, but yeah, so that's cornerback depth. Uh, don't know anything about Ed Warner contract extension. That's usually, I mean, just because there's no news doesn't mean that there's no effort. Uh, you know, I would assume something's in the works, and if not, there's probably some reason about it. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what to. People people think like these contract things. Like you can with with coaches. I feel like you can. They're not going to be af- offended that you didn't make, do an extension by this date as much. It's not quite like the pro athletes thing. Like it's. I assume discussions are still ongoing, and if they're not, they're not for. Talk about the Warner thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's dumb. All right. <laughs> if, it, if it happens, it happens. If it, you know, again, I, I think any assistant—he's not that old. Any assistant who's as kind of renowned as he is and stuff—I just feel like at the end of the day is going to have some higher goals, whether that's at Michigan or somewhere else, you know. And it's like, that's what, like I said, I got that—they got the question in the chat about why isn't Michigan doing more if nothing's been done? And it's like, you have no way of even, like, how would you imply that out of, you know, it's just. Ah, and gosh. Michigan knows full well Ed Warner's value. This is yeah, not like, some, like, like really? we forgot that he was good. <laughs> like, you know, they saw what happened with that offensive line. I mean, really? Do you think, we don't need to necessarily compare coaches, but do you think Michigan makes a New Year's Six Bowl without Ed Warner as the coach? I think no, and I think they know it. They had five right. linemen, all five starting offensive linemen, get some type of all Big Ten honor. And that's no no offensive line at Michigan, I believe, has ever done that. Maybe maybe in the nine, early 90s. And it hasn't happened in the Big Ten for quite some time, at the very least. Uh, so so anyway. not only that, oh, go ahead. but the, you're in a spot now where a guy like James Hudson transfers and you still feel good about your depth at tackle. Mm-hmm. What, like... Three years ago, that would have been unheard of. People like three years ago, James Hudson transferring would have been like a an absolutely devastating departure. You know, and that part of that's I don't know how you can't give Warner a decent amount of credit at least mm-hmm. for that. You know, and so yeah, no, I uh, whatever. Yeah, we've got another question about Ronnie Bell's development. I uh, I don't. I mean. He, 
he says uh, people are people aren't really talking about him enough. I feel like we talk about him a good amount. You know, it's yeah, he's a no, jump we were, out of the gym. He's he's right there, right? He wasn't listed as one of the starting receivers, but he's the primary return guy. Which I think, Steve, I know you said they have other veterans. I do think part of it is they want to like Ambry Thomas is a good example. I don't think they had any misgivings about him as kick returner or Hawkins, but I think as they get more expanded roles. Like, unless you're a Jabril Peppers type, if you're getting more expanded roles on defense or on offense, they're probably going to put someone else at return just so you're not gassed. Yeah, fully agree. Yeah, yeah. So, absolutely. But they do like Bell. As they, matter, yeah. fact, matter of fact, that's as good. Sorry, that's as good an indication as any that Ambry Thomas has had a good mm-hmm. spring and that they have high hopes for him in the corner, agree. actually. If yeah. you think about it. So, yeah, I think that's fair. So, yeah, Bell, I mean, he's. He's going to play. He's going to play. He played every game. Not every game. He played a lot of games last year. I uh, don't believe he hung on to that red shirt. No, he didn't. It's so, you know, there's a lot of crowded people. But I think one thing I was just thinking about this today about when Ohio State cooked Michigan a little bit, they could just have receivers run these long, you know, complicated routes and then take them off the field and put someone else in that was like just as fast and just as good. I mean that's that's what Michigan wants in the end is you know you know Michigan couldn't you know, teams can't put in cornerbacks over and over again there's that that drop off's a little bit higher but yeah I mean they could they have a rotation at least when healthy they have a rotation of receivers that they can use in different roles and different routes and I think uh, I've I've heard no indication that Bell is not a part of that group you know it's I think he's an ascending player obviously he's someone that was under scouted or maybe not under scouted but because he was a basketball recruit wasn't looked at but he's Kansas City player of the year scouted. yeah yeah I keep you could say he's under scouted I don't think there's any that's really how that's I didn't want to throw our sites actually. under the bus but yeah <laughs> well no but even no but that, no not even I wasn't even getting talking sites I was talking more uh Michigan was the only power five like, offer I believe other college bro, yeah dude I mean if you're if you're Kansas or Kansas State or Missouri <laughs> like how does a guy like that slip through your fingers? Like, I, I you know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's the type of guy he was so under recruited when Michigan uh, started to recruit him that if if one of those other schools had found him like earlier in the process, he'd probably have been verbally committed there at some point. Right. You know. Yeah. So, and he was his basketball commitment was to Missouri, where, like, Southwest Missouri, Northwest Missouri State. Missouri State. Or, yeah. Something right, like that. Yeah, I got my West mixed up, but. Um, so it's not like it's not like he was committed to like you know Florida or some basketball program yeah, where yeah. like you know football schools weren't even going to try you know it's like he was committed to a place where like you know almost anybody would have come knocking on his door would have you know so that's why it's it's very strange because he he won Kansas City Player of the Year like you know not the Kansas well, City's the know, football hotbed but it right. it's a big well, city but I know that he did. I know he didn't sign with Michigan, but Amori Hickson was kind of similar, though. I mean, mm-hmm. Kansas, Kansas State didn't really. I think he's going to be a player. That's a whole different deal. But yeah, I mean, like you know, like sort of a very similar situation where nobody like recruiting, and then you kind of watch the film, and you're like, oh, this guy might not yeah. be like a five star, but how on earth would a school like Kansas or Kansas State not like be on this guy? You know, so um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so I think that's all of our questions. Uh, we'll have obviously a ton more. I know Steve will be out of town. We're gonna have a, a 
pre-recorded segment that we'll play in next week's podcast. But uh, for, for Steve Lorenz on the phones, I'm Zach Shaw. This has been the Wolverine 24-7 podcast. Check out all of our stories at michigan.247sports.com and the michiganinsider.com. I uh, hope you had fun. Hope you learned something. See you next